the time is 28 to two and a half. Welcome to the past, my friends. President warns about danger of guns and steel. America says hi to Wakey Wakey Island. And military cock-up spreads bombs all over Spain. Plus, coming up, world's most infamous chimpanzee, Trippy McCoy will try to live in a manhole for a week. Those are the headlines. Pass me the bath bag, please. News bang. Whipping up a storm of truth in order to calm it all down. 1961. On this day in 1961, outgoing President Dwight D. Eisenhower warned of the dangers of the military-industrial complex. This sinister alliance between the armed forces and Woolworths has long been suspected but never proven. Ike, as he was known to his fellow generals, said, Beware the power of the uniformed confectionery barons. They'll have us all eating rock-hard gobstoppers and licorice machine guns before we can say, I surrender. Eisenhower, who planned and supervised many a picnic during World War II, spoke of his fears about future planning PE lessons and the dangers of overspending on shuttlecocks. The term military-industrial complex describes the cosy relationship between a nation's privates and its defense industry, which often leads to both sides benefiting from contracts for overpriced catering supplies. Ike's warning about this vicious cycle gained popularity after his speech when he famously added, God bless America, unless you're from one of those dodgy countries with funny hats. In a move that has sent shockwaves through the world of atolls, the United States today administered Wake Island in the Pacific Ocean. The coral-based archipelago, known for its stunning lagoons and strategic location, was previously administered by Mother Nature. However, after a drawn-out custody battle, Uncle Sam has been granted full control. The takeover has not been without controversy. Neighbouring Marshall Islands claim they've had their eye on Wake Island for years and have accused the Yanks of muscling in. But State Department spokesman Chuck Norris Grunt said, We've got a manifest destiny to fulfil, and if that means annexing some reefs, then so be it. The takeover comes as part of America's growing appetite for remote territories. Experts predict they may soon set their sights on Samoa or even Hawaii, though that could be a big-ass shirt. 1966. In a mid-air mix-up that would have had Laurel and Hardy in stitches, a U.S. Air Force B-52 bomber accidentally backed into a KC-135 tanker over the skies of Palomares, Spain. The resulting pileup scattered four hydrogen bombs across the area, like overripe tomatoes at a food fight. Miraculously, only one exploded on impact, wiping out the small town of Oh Shit and its population of Nobody Expected This. Eyewitness accounts describe the scene as apocalyptic, with one local fisherman, Pedro Aldente, recalling how he saw a big boom in the sky followed by mucho calamari. Authorities have downplayed any long-term effects from the fallout, assuring locals that glowing green prawns will be a delicacy by next Tuesday. The remaining three nukes are still unaccounted for, but thought to be at large somewhere near Malaga. The Pentagon has urged calm, reminding everyone that they're probably on holiday anyway. Meanwhile, residents of Palomares are picking up the pieces and asking themselves, ¿Por qué nosotros? The news bang! 
Every fact is a brick and together they build a structure of truth. Tomorrow's weather forecast holds a blend of excitement and unpredictability, a true reflection of our fickle friend Mother Nature. Shakanaka Giles has the details. In the southern reaches, a blustery morning greets the early risers. The wind will whip up like a terrier after a squirrel, so be sure to hold onto your hats and keep your umbrellas at bay. The Midlands will see a mix of sun and cloud with temperatures hovering around 5 degrees Perfect for a brisk walk or perhaps an ice skating session if you're feeling adventurous. In the north, expect scattered showers turning into snowflakes as the day progresses. It's as if Jack Frost has taken up residence in your backyard, painting everything in white. As for any celestial events, keep an eye out for the peak of the Quadrant Tids Meteor Shower tonight. A perfect excuse to stay up late and watch nature's fireworks display from the comfort of your own home. So, whether you're battening down the hatches or gazing at the stars, enjoy tomorrow's weather, and that's all the weather. Nineteen sixty-six. In a sobering reminder of the perils inherent in aviation, the year nineteen sixty-six bore witness to a mid-air collision between a U.S. Air Force B-52 and a KC-135 during a routine refueling operation. The incident unfolded near Palomares, Spain, a quaint coastal town along the Mediterranean Sea. The unfortunate collision resulted in the tragic loss of life and the obliteration of both aircraft. To add to the gravity of the situation, three hydrogen bombs plummeted onto Spanish soil while another plunged into the depths of the sea. As we tread carefully through this tale of catastrophe, we turn to our esteemed correspondent Brian Bastable for further insight. Hovering at the edge of the apocalypse in a zone that lies between now and then, I await my moment to join this nuclear horror show. Here comes a plane now, in it sits Satan's right-hand man and his fuel boy, making their final approach for what will surely be their rendezvous with doom. These aircraft have no fear as they fly toward each other through an inferno of radioactive clouds. They come together in a kiss of death that will send three atomic bombs hurtling to Earth while the fourth plunges into oblivion below. In minutes, this place will look like something from Hiroshima after God decided to take out his anger on the inhabitants hereabouts for daring to make metal figurines of him in Sunday school lessons or not believing in angels anymore or possibly because he was bored on Tuesdays. I see them now coming closer together until at last they meet over Palomares, Spain, whereupon an explosion rips apart Satan's air force and hurls flaming debris across miles of Spanish countryside while releasing four weapons designed only for one thing, total annihilation. There goes another plane. There must be dozens up there. 
all aiming to refuel each other before dropping hellfire onto unsuspecting civilians who thought today would just be another day spent eating tapas and drinking sangria instead of running screaming from their homes as fireballs explode around them, turning everything into ash. And so it begins. Brian Bastable reporting live from 1966 Palomares Air Disaster. 2010. The year 2010 bore witness to the Joss riots in Nigeria, a catastrophic collision between Muslim and Christian ethnic groups. The death toll soared past 200 as Joss, the administrative heart of Plateau State, was left reeling from the chaos. The conflagration spread like wildfire, consuming houses, churches, mosques, and vehicles in its path. With approximately 900,000 residents calling Joss home, one can only imagine the magnitude of fear and uncertainty that gripped the city during those dark days. And now to delve deeper into this harrowing tale of religious strife and destruction is our esteemed correspondent Ken Shit. Tonight, we're taking you back to the year 2010 a time when blood flowed like the Nile in Nigeria. The Joss riots were a goddamn disaster that claimed over 200 lives and left a trail of destruction in its wake. These motherfuckers couldn't get along because they worship different gods, Muslims versus Christians. It's like watching cats and dogs fight over the same piece of meat. And what did it accomplish? Nothing but death, destruction and misery for innocent people caught in the crossfire. The violence didn't stop at Jaws either. It spread like wildfire through surrounding communities, leaving nothing but ashes and rubble in its path. Houses were torched, churches burned to the ground, mosques desecrated, all in the name of some ancient grudge between two rival factions who can't seem to coexist peacefully. Jaws is supposed to be a city of 900,000 residents. Now it looks like a war zone straight out of hell. The streets are empty except for smoldering ruins and shattered dreams. This once thriving metropolis has been reduced to rubble by senseless hatred and bigotry. And what about those poor souls who lost their lives? They were just going about their daily business when they got caught up in this bloody mess. Their families are left mourning their loss while these lunatics continue their senseless crusade against each other. It makes my blood boil just thinking about it. This is Ken Shit signing off from Newsbang. May God have mercy on our souls as we navigate this increasingly chaotic world. The Tasty, uh, 1998. In a momentous development that would ripple through the annals of American politics, the Drudge Report made history as the first to break the story of the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal. The sex scandal involving President Bill Clinton and White House in turn, Monica Lewinsky set off a chain reaction leading to charges of perjury and the impeachment of Clinton, only for him to be later acquitted. Now as we continue our coverage on this explosive story, we turn to our political correspondent Hardeman Pesto for further insights. Martin, I'm here at the White House where a sex scandal is exploding involving the president. My sources tell me it involves an intern named Monica Lewinsky, the president denies any improper relationship, but this could spell trouble. Hold on. The president had an affair with an intern? Shouldn't you confirm facts before reporting rumors? I have multiple sources on this, Martin. Lewinsky was moved to the Pentagon to keep her away from Clinton. The Pentagon? Did she get a job there? Uh, no, she was transferred to the Pentagon Daycare Center. The Daycare Center? How old is Mrs. Lewinsky? She's 21 years old. 
A real go-getter. Graduated college early. I see. So she's interning at the White House while working part-time at the Pentagon daycare. Babysitting must pay well nowadays. No, no, she was transferred there to keep her away from the president. The scandal could bring down Clinton's presidency. By sending his mistress to babysit toddlers at the Pentagon? Seems like an odd human resources decision. You're missing the point, Martin. This is a major presidential scandal. Perjury, impeachment, the works. Yes, I heard you the first time, Pesto. The president will be impeached for having an affair with a 21-year-old intern turned Pentagon babysitter. I'm sure the country will be shocked. That's right, Martin. Shocking abuse of power that could end his presidency. Almost as shocking as that toupee on your head. I think it just blinked at me. It did not. I don't wear a toupee. Keep telling yourself that, pesto. Back to our top story, the president's alleged affair with the Pentagon daycare intern. We'll keep our viewers updated as this lurid tale continues to unfold. In the annals of 1899, the United States has assumed the administration of Wake Island, a coral atoll in the vast Pacific Ocean. This unincorporated territory, a mere speck in the oceanic expanse, is part of the United States' minor outlying islands. Yet, it is not without controversy, as the Marshall Islands also lay claim to this minuscule landmass. To shed light on this peculiar territorial tussle, we turn to our American correspondent, Melody Wintergreen. Melody, what's the latest on this oceanic squabble? Wake Island, a mere speck in the vast Pacific Ocean, where Uncle Sam has just tucked another star-spangled feather into his territorial cap. The year is 1899, and America's insatiable appetite for expansion has led it to claim this coral atoll as its own. Wake Island, an unincorporated territory that whispers of strategic significance and the scent of guano riches. Here, where the seabirds squawk the tune of manifest destiny, the stars and stripes unfurl in the balmy breeze. The island, also eyed covetously by the Marshall Islands, now finds itself cradled in the bosom of American sovereignty. The atoll's few inhabitants, primarily feathered and finned, are blissfully unaware of their new landlord as they bask under the tropical sun. But make no mistake, this tiny landmass is more than just a sunbather's paradise. It's a geopolitical chess piece on the Pacific board. As America administers its newest acquisition with a mix of pride and purpose, one can't help but marvel at how even the smallest of stones can ripple across the pond of international politics. And so, as Wake Island wakes up to its new American dawn, we're reminded that sometimes it's not about the size of the land, but the weight of its flag. Melody Wintergreen for Newsbang. News bang, tapping the truth tree with a hammer of honesty. Here's Penelope Windchime to give us an update on the environmental front. In the year of our Earth 2002, Mount Niragongo, a fiery mountain with a temper as unpredictable as a butterfly in a hurricane, did belch forth its inner turmoil. The skies wept ash as the land was cloaked in an infernal blanket, turning day into night. The molten rivers gushed forth like an overzealous teapot, spilling its scalding contents upon the unsuspecting town of Goma.
Ogoma, nestled by Lake Kivu's bosom and flirting with the Rwandan border, has danced too often with volcanic fury and the waltz of human conflict. This tango with tragedy left homes, but memories in smoke and dreams entombed in lava. 120,000 souls, cast adrift on the tides of displacement, their cries echoing through the charcoal whispers of their once verdant abode. And yet, from these ashes rises not just sorrow, but also the indomitable spirit of Earth's children, crafting hope like phoenix feathers from despair's heavy dusk. I'm Penelope Windchime, and this is our world, beautifully scarred, eternally resilient. 1773. Our science correspondent, Calamity Prenderville, has an extraordinary tale of exploration and innovation from 1773. A time when sailing around in circles in the middle of nowhere was considered fun. Well, gather round, folks. It's time for a blast from the past. Way back in 1773, on this very day, a bloke named Captain James Cook did something rather extraordinary. He and his crew on the HMS Resolution decided to take a little joyride around the Antarctic Circle. Now, I know what you're thinking, what's so funny about that? But just wait till you hear how they did it. Apparently, these chaps were looking for some mysterious southern landmass. Sounds like a right jolly holiday, doesn't it? I mean, who wouldn't want to spend their days sailing around in circles in the middle of nowhere? They didn't just wing it. Oh no, they had a plan. You see, Cook had already been around the block once or twice. He'd already charted New Zealand and Australia's eastern coastline. So, he thought to himself, why not go for the trifecta and add Antarctica to the mix? And so they did. They sailed their merry way into the Antarctic Circle, becoming the first major expedition to do so. And all this without Google Maps or GPS. Just imagine, using nothing but a compass and a sextant, these blokes managed to navigate their way through treacherous waters and icebergs the size of tower blocks. Who needs self-driving cars when you can have self-navigating ships? And who needs satellite TV when you can have good old-fashioned exploration? So there you have it. A bit of British ingenuity from way back when. Next time you're feeling down, just remember, at least you're not sailing around in circles in the middle of nowhere. This is Calamity Prenderville from Newsbang, signing off. Newsbang, putting the real back into reality TV. 1562. A momentous day in 1562, as Catherine de' Medici extends a fleeting olive branch to the French Huguenots. The Edict of Saint-Germain offers a modicum of tolerance, though not enough to stop them from feeling like the odd ones out at a Renaissance party. The Huguenots, French Protestants who followed the Reformed tradition, were likely relieved. But one can only imagine how the Lutherans in eastern France felt, like the second best wine at a royal feast. And we've been sent back in time to the year 1562, where Catherine de' Medici has extended limited tolerance to the Huguenots in France. Reporting on this historic edict is our correspondent Smithsonian Moss. Now at this point of the evening we welcome listeners on FM who've just joined us. Whoa, culture vultures. It's your history-hopping, time-traveling temptress Smithsonian Moss dishing out the deets from the year 1562. Buckle up, buttercups, because we're about to get medieval on your... senses. 
So, picture this. France, 1562, and the air is thick with religious tension, like a bad Tinder date between a vegan and a carnivore. Enter Catherine de Medici, the original queen bee, and her edict of Saint-Germain. She's serving up a slice of tolerance with a side of political savvy, saying to the Huguenots, All right, you can do your Protestant thing, but like, keep it on the DL, okay? This edict was like the first mixtape drop in a series of religious bangers that would have the French saying, ooh la la, to religious freedom. And let's talk about those Huguenots, the Calvinist cool kids on the block, going head-to-head with the Catholic old guard. It's like the Montagues and Capulets, but with less teen angst and more pamphlets. Now don't get it twisted. This wasn't a full-blown love fest. It was more like a, we're not going to burn you at the stake, for now kind of deal. But, hey, it was the Renaissance, and that's as good as a right swipe on ye old Tinder. And let's not forget the Lutherans, chilling in eastern France, probably sipping on some fine Alsace wine, and thinking, hey, we're Protestants too, where's our shout-out? Don't worry, Lutheran lads and lasses, your time in the tolerance spotlight is coming. So there you have it, folks, the Edict of Saint-Germain, a baby step towards religious freedom and a giant leap for Huguenot kind. And remember, when it comes to history, it's all about reading between the lines and the burn marks on the heresy trials. This has been Smithsonian Moss, keeping it real since 1562. Stay sassy, stay smart, and stay skeptical, my friends. News bang, smoking out the fire hose of falsehoods. Thirtilos, 1377. In a momentous shift, Pope Gregory XI has returned the papacy to Rome, effectively ending the Avignon papacy that had held sway for nearly six and a half decades. The return marks a pivotal juncture in ecclesiastical history, as Rome once again becomes the epicenter of Catholic authority. To delve into the implications of this momentous decision, we turn to our religious correspondent, Pastor Kevin Monstrance. Good evening, ladies and gents. The year is 1377 and the papacy has finally returned to Rome after 67 years in Avignon. Avignon, lovely town I'm sure, but not quite the true home of the Holy See, what? Now, this was all down to Pope Gregory XI, who decided enough was enough and time to head back to the Eternal City. (laughs) Packed up all the crosses and chalices, vestments and mitres, and made the trek across the Alps. Not an easy journey, especially with all the papal paraphernalia. Why, the mule train carrying the Pope's jewelled moor slippers alone numbered in the dozens. The Avignon Cardinals were none too pleased at this turn of events. They'd grown quite accustomed to their lavish digs and ample French wine cellars. But Gregory was having none of it. Time to get back to Roman roots. This reminded me of a funny tale about another priest determined to uphold standards. Father Ignatius O'Flaherty, pillar of the community in our little Irish village of Drizzling on the Bog. Now Father Iggy had been having trouble with the altar wine disappearing. The younger priests were helping themselves to a quick tipple before Mass. So one Sunday, Iggy decides to teach them a lesson. He waters down the wine with liberal splashes of vinegar and Tabasco sauce. 
Just before Mass, he gathers the priests and says, Right, lads, let's have a little toast before we begin. <laughs> well, the looks on their faces when they took a big swig of that adulterated altar wine. Red as beets they went, eyes watering, coughing and spluttering. After a minute of shock, young Father Patrick gasps out, Father, the wine! It's... it's... Oosh. And Iggy says, it's the blood of Christ, laddie. Now straighten your vestments and look sharp. Mass is starting. <laughs> I suppose the moral is, don't mess with a priest determined to uphold standards, even if it means taking extreme measures or adding Tabasco to the sacramental wine. <laughs> well, I hope you've enjoyed my tale of Avignon and wayward priests. May the blessings of the day be with you all. <laughs> And just time for a last look at tomorrow's headlines. The Times lead with Red Army in sick Leningrad land grab. There's a ghastly image there. The independent stick with Germany unifies, Hitler rejoices. There's a photograph there of history being rewritten. While the mail opt for international chessboard in Golden Bridge dedication. There's an illustration there of the medal and The Guardian go with 30 years of silent solitude. Uh, Ended for Thorpe family. I hope that their commemorative medals don't come bounding off to begin another life as half-crowns. That's it from us this evening. But don't forget that our words are just loosely based on recent events. The events themselves have not been tampered with. Good night and welcome to a rainy London where flood warnings are in place for this afternoon, when it will reach 23 degrees Celsius. Enjoy your evening, and thank you for your attention. Goodbye, and good grief. Tune in next time for more artificially intelligent hilarity. Newsbang is a comedy show, written and recorded by AI. All voices impersonated. Nothing here is real. Good night. <laughs>